Well, it's a good day, and part of what makes it a good day is uh, I'm just telling you I'm totally jacked up because we're starting a new series today, and I've been looking forward to this for a while. And so with that in mind, I would ask you to grab your Bibles, and you would turn to Revelation chapter 1. Uh, if you're new to the Bible and not quite sure, you probably know that Revelation is towards the end of the Bible. Um, I'm just going to guess that, but just go to the end of the Bible, look for chapter 1, and you're there. Uh, that's where we're going. And um, I just want to encourage you, bring your Bibles. I love hearing Bible pages turning. Digital folks love you too, but I tell you, nothing. they need to get that Bible turning page sound uh, when you're getting there through it. Uh, let me just tell you a little bit, since we're starting a new series here, um, we are going to be going through this series through Thanksgiving. And uh, so that's about nine Sundays that we're going to be spending on this. And I want to start just kind of with a big picture uh, of the book of Revelation, and that's in uh, chapter 1, actually verse 19, uh, provides us a big picture of how the entire book, all 22 chapters, flow. Now, let me read that, uh, verse 19, chapter 1, it says, Write therefore, oh, by the way, uh, if you have a red letter edition Bible, uh, what, uh, that means that either there's printing in black print or red print. What color is being printed right now in verse 19? Red. That means that Jesus is talking. And by the way, as you're going to be, uh, we're going to be digging into today and next Sunday, this is the revelation one Jesus. Okay? That's a big deal. And we're going to be uh, seeing that in a little bit. But he says to John, the Apostle John, write therefore the things that you have seen, uh, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. There's really three sections, if you will, the book of Revelation. Chapter 1 is, is the things that uh, you've seen, uh, that he is going to be writing about, that he's going to be seeing, and we're going to be walking with him in this. And then chapters 2 and 3 is talking about the things that are. It's directed to seven churches, and those churches exist. They're living in that day, and uh, they are at the present time of the writing, around 95 A.D., uh, then the last chapters of the book of Revelation, chapters 4 to 22, which most people uh, kind of have the understanding that Revelation is all about the future stuff, that is where the things that are to take place after this uh, occur. That's really the overall layout of the book of Revelation. Now, we're going to be starting in uh, the first three chapters, and then we're going to stop there because uh, we'll take that through Thanksgiving. We'll have December doing some other things and uh, getting ready to move into the facility. And then we're looking to pick up the chapter 4 and the rest of the book of Revelation in January of 2015, if we're all still here. Um, so we'll, uh, just so you have a little idea what's going on with that. And Genesis 2 and 3, we already talked. It's Jesus is talking. And, and let me say it this way. This is not the poor carpenter Jesus talking. This is not the hippie-sandaled um, walking around and amazing teacher, Jesus. This is also not the bruised, beaten, spit on, mocked, walking down the Via Della Rosa, nailed to a cross, Jesus. It, yes, it is the same person. But this Jesus, we'll get there in a little bit. Okay? We'll get there in a little bit. I just want to get you already thinking, this is amazing, friends. And I would just put it this way. It may be time for you and I, and I say I because I'm just telling you this passage kicked me this week. Maybe time for you and I to get beyond the gospels, Jesus, and to grab a hold of the revelation, Jesus. Because the revelation, Jesus, is the one. Well, we'll get there in a little bit. 
Seven weeks on chapters two and three we'll be spending. Seven churches, one week per church. And the Revelation 1, Jesus has something to say to these seven churches. I wonder what he has to say. I mean, think about that. As we see this, the Revelation 1, Jesus is, has something to say to these churches. And it's like, man, what would he say? And I wonder if in this he has out of that something to say to this church. I would think so, wouldn't you? I think so. So we're going to be spending uh, seven weeks there, but we're going to be spending these next two weeks in chapter one. Doug, why chapter one? I mean, chapter one is, you said it's already one section, then chapters two. Why don't we just jump into chapters two and three? And here's the reason why. Because if you don't have a picture of the revelation Jesus in chapter one, you don't understand chapters two and three. And by the way, uh, when, Lord willing, we come back and we come through the rest of the book of Revelation, I guarantee you we will be coming back to chapter one. Because you do not understand chapters 4 through 22 if you don't understand chapter 1. It's that important. It's that critical. Revelation 1, Jesus, I'm just telling you, friends, buckle your seatbelts. Because this ain't no par- par- carpenter kids, Jesus. So today, we start out Jesus of Revelation 1, part 1. And uh, I would like for you to read to me the first five words of Revelation because in everybody's translation, it's basically the same. And it starts with the word the, and you finish it from there. Here we go. The. Okay. Now, you see that like oftentimes I've seen that and you just kind of like, cool, let's go on. We can't. We have to spend some time on this. You have to spend some time on this. Uh, These first five words uh, are so important because I think these first five words set the purpose of the entire book. Um, In this book, we generally think of the word revelation here as it's stated as kind of this compilation of future event things. It's like this letter, it's this book, that's what, it's Jesus' letter. Um, I don't think that's actually what this is talking about. Um. The book of Revelation is first and foremost about seeing Jesus Christ. The the book of Revelation is first and foremost about getting a hold of Jesus Christ and who he is. Oh, but I want to talk about all the pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. I want to talk about this and I want to talk about, so are those grasshoppers, are they helicopters? What's going on? Hey, I enjoy those conversations too, and I think sometimes people get too mad about it when they talk about the whole thing. Um, But in that whole conversation, that's fine to have those conversations, but hear me in this. That is not the primary purpose of the book. The primary purpose of the book is to see Jesus Christ. No, let me re-say that. The primary purpose of the book is to see Jesus Christ. Because this ain't no poor carpenters, Jesus. This ain't no hippie sandal, Jesus. Friends, this is King Majesty, Jesus. Friends, this is King Majesty, Jesus. And I and we need to move on. 
First and foremost, it's about Jesus. In fact, I want for you to, let's go to the next slide and take a look at the text here. Um, in the text, I've just got it up. Don't worry about reading it through. But there's uh, words that are highlighted kind of in a yellow there. Uh, I've done that for the purpose that you can just kind of glance over, get a big picture, that this whole text area talks about Jesus. All those yellow things are him. It's just already in the first eight verses, Jesus is all over this thing. His fingerprint is all over it. Now, uh, look in your own Bible, and you can see chapters 2 and 3 that we're going to be covering in this series here, the seven churches. And you can see in chapters 2 and 3, what color printing is it for if you have a red-letter edition Bible? Red. Red. That means His Majesty, King Jesus, has something to say to seven real-deal local churches. I wonder what He has to say. I wonder what He has to say. We'll get there. But first, we need to get a load of Jesus. Because friends, this is no poor carpenter Jesus. This is his majesty, the king. King, Jesus, supreme over all. My friends, this is no poor carpenter's Jesus. First and foremost, the book of Revelation is about seeing Jesus Christ. God, as we enter into this series, I just pray. Show us you. And show us you big. In the name of King Jesus, we pray. Amen. Revelation 1 first five verses, and here we go. Let's get started. Chris, we can go ahead and go to the next slide. That'd be great. Okay. What are the first five words you tell me? Great. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation. The, the, The word means actually to unveil, to disclose to reveal something that has not been known prior to that. Wait, wait, wait. Think about that. The word has this idea in it, the unveiling and the revealing of something. Something that maybe had a formerly hiddenness to it, but now is, ta-da! In fact... What am I talking about? It's kind of like this, a magician who has something. You already know what's under it. But, but when he's working with it, he's got the, uh, the cloth over it, and it's like, ta-da! Right? And you're like, ooh. I didn't know what was under there, but I thought it was a bunny rabbit. Okay, now you're going to help me, because uh, very possibly during the service, you're going to fill in the key statement point. So when I pull this off, what are you going to say? Okay, but you're going to say with meaning and depth and passion. Okay, you ready? Here we go. That was actually pretty good. Pretty good. Okay, the unveiling, the revealing of Jesus Christ. Hmm. Ta-da! Friends, this is about the Jesus to be revealed. The Jesus to be revealed. Now wait, Doug, stop. Hold on for a second here. Because Jesus has been revealed. I'm like, didn't you read the Gospels? Actually, I have read the Gospels. And uh, 
I, I have seen them there, but, but picture this with me. The Old Testament. The Old Testament gives glimpses of Jesus. The Old Testament gives glimpses of a coming one. In fact, it starts in Genesis chapter 3. That there's one who is coming that is going to be a redeemer. And we even saw in Joshua in chapter 5 when uh, I believe what was the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ uh, shows himself to Joshua and Joshua ends up on his face. By the way, don't forget that because of next Sunday. Joshua ends up on his face before him. What would you, um, your servant, what would you have me do? They've got glimpses of Jesus. And then you come to the Gospels, and we see in the Gospels where, uh, yes, Jesus certainly comes. It's a Philippians 2 type of Jesus. It's coming from heaven in humility of this. And what we see there in all of this is we see the incarnate suffering servant Jesus. We see the righteous lamb to be slaughtered Jesus. And we have glimpses even in the Gospels of his divine power and majesty. I mean, the miracles. Raising Lazarus from the dead. The transfiguration. Talking about majesty. We see glimpses of that. But, but if, if you think through the Bible and you have glimpses, 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 and then it's like, whoa, incarnate Christ. And it's like, whoa, we see more. But then we see the cross. I want to tell you, you go all the way through and we see glimpses of it. But then in 95 AD, all of a sudden you come to the book of Revelation and it's like, holy moly. I'm just telling you, friends, you have never seen Jesus as full and complete and big as you do until you hit Revelation. And Revelation is a book that is just like, bam, pow, wow. I've never seen Jesus like that before. King Majesty. Not just the poor servant going to the cross. Buckle up. Because I want to introduce you to the Jesus of Revelation chapter 1 part one today. Verse one, the revelation of the unveiling and revealing of Jesus Christ. Let's keep on going. Let's actually work past five words, which God, uh, talking about here, God, the father gave him Jesus to show. Let's pause. Uh, So many things here we could talk about. This is really cool. We have a glimpse into the Trinity and how they work. And we could have a lot of fun discussions, but I need to focus in on this. And so I'm just going to do this. I'm going to focus in on the couple words that it gives here. What happens? God the Father gives to Jesus. He gives something. That right there tells you about relationship. An equal but unique persons in the trinity and here we see god the father giving to jesus christ and we see in all this really part of what's happening is we see perfect communion together we we see in all this perfect order we see perfect submission happening it's not like jesus is going to be going crud like can i have the better model none of that's happening And in fact, what we really end up seeing is Jesus is like, awesome, all for the glory of the Father. And so we have this perfect uh, submission, this perfect joy in it all, this perfect giving of honor and glory actually to one another. Because we're going to see here in just a second, God the Father's like, all right, Jesus, guess what? 
Now's the time, my friend. Now's the time. I give it to you now. To do what? Look at the text. To show. God the Father has given Jesus Christ. Now's the time to show something. To show. I don't need to go into Greek on that. We kind of know what that is like. It's like show. It's like you see it. It's revealed. It's what would be another way of kind of illustrating what show means. Exactly. That's what show is. Like, look at that. Look at that. Ta-da! Okay. People on the web, if they watch, listen to this, wonder what's going on here. But he's going to give something to Jesus to show. And show to whom? Verse 1. Uh, to show his servants. You see in the text? By the way, doulos. It's bond servant. Uh, listen, friends. Not service servant like, uh, would you li- like a little tea with your crumpets? That's not that kind of servant. This has the idea back in the day, this was a willing servant. This is someone who willingly placed themselves under someone as their servant, not forced under, not crammed under, not bought and treated like garbage under. This is someone who's like, I want to be there. I love them. I want to be your bond servant. That's the deal that's going. Does that not sound like what was being talked about and what baptism represents a person wanting to do? I place myself under the Lord. And what he tells me to do, I'm good with doing because I don't want to do my thing. I want to do his thing uh, to his servants, to his bond servants, and to show what? Uh, the end of verse one, the things that must soon take place. Now, I say this. Yes, the book of Revelation is about future events, but it's not about God the Father giving Jesus Christ the go-ahead to go ahead and show some, uh, in other words, it's not first and foremost about the showing of the future events. Why? Because of the first five words. It's so clear in it. In the showing of the future events, guess what? Who's to be shown? Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation is about Jesus Christ. And I'm going to do my hardest to make that happen. Even in the seven churches, to make this about Jesus. Even later on when we come to the things, to make it about Jesus. Because the whole book is about Jesus. Too many people today just lose focus on the stated purpose of the book with their end times conversations. And again, I'm okay with it. Have at it. They're really cool. But here's a helpful, I think, statement. John did not send this letter to seven churches to answer their curiosity about what is happening in the future. That was not the purpose. I'm going to talk a little bit later about what's going on. And in the time, they were in serious persecution. And they were in need of encouragement. And people in serious persecution in need of encouragement, while the, what's happening in the future may give encouragement, ultimately that's not what you need encouragement with. You need encouragement to know this. There is one who has the whole thing well under control. That's what you want to know in persecution. And that's what the whole book is about. So what was John's encouragement? It's this. You gotta see this Jesus. 
hey, and I don't know, maybe in life right now, maybe things are going really well and smooth and cool for you, but maybe you just need some encouragement today. Maybe you're going through hard times today. Friends, I, I beg of you to be here. Oh, you are here today. And next Sunday, because you need to be able to hear and see Jesus in the hard times. This rocks. So what do we learn about Jesus in verses one through eight? Let me ask that another way, uh, fitting with this. Uh, uh, what does Jesus reveal about Jesus? I love that. I mean, who better to show about Jesus than like, I don't know, Jesus, right? Okay, so that's what we're going to do. Verse 1 through 8, the Jesus as revealed by Jesus. Verses 1 and 2, uh, the revelation, the unveiling and the revealing of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel. Hey, wait. He made it known. What does that mean? God the Father gave him the task of showing something, showing himself, and guess what? He did it. He did it. He made it known. What God the Father said for him to do, he's done uh, in that. Uh, by sending his angel. Uh, whose angel? His angel. Not my angel, not your angel, not Bubba's angel. His angel. Friends, uh, why am I hitting on these things? Because this is telling you about Jesus Christ. Who owns the angels? Jesus does. And not only that, he sends them. That means like if he says, uh, pick it up and go there, they're like, lovely. I'm on my way. Who can do that? I wish I could. I wish I could send angels. But it would be so abused. <laughs> True? <laughs> oh, I'm going to keep going. <laughs> Keep going in the text to his bond servant, John. Well, that's cool. God sends his angels to his people. The bond servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. This is cool. This Jesus has willing bond servants. People willingly placing themselves under his lordship and under his word and for his purposes. And they do it willingly. And it's their choice. They can't be forced to do that. Verse 3. Bore witness, I'm sorry, to bore witness to the word of God, the testimony of Jesus, even to all that he saw. Uh, I forgot to note. Uh, he, has, he has bond servants who have seen him, who are eyewitnesses. Hey, friends, this isn't a game. This isn't the phone game. You know, we're like you tell one person. I was always the little kid in the middle who totally changed the story. It just was. See, that's why I... Don't give me the angels to do it with. Um, anyway, not in my notes. Go to First John at some time this week and read the first five verses and you'll find out that the Apostle John, who's the writer of here, he says this in all sincerity. He's like, listen, I'm telling you, I've seen this guy. I've seen him teach. I've heard him. I've hung with him. I'm telling you what I'm writing. It's not a game. It's not a joke. I've seen the dude and everything that I have to say, I beg of you, please listen to this because I know what I'm talking about. Not because I'm awesome, but because I've seen it. Man, I want to listen to people like that. Maybe this week, go to First John. Verse 3 now. This is cool, because it's almost like a little pause in it all. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy. Hey, neener, neener, neener. I'm reading them aloud, and you're not. No, hold on. We'll, we'll talk about what we're meaning here. 
And then it goes on, and blessed are those who hear uh, back at me, right? Um, and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Okay, really important here, uh, minor Greek lesson here. These three verbs that are stated here are called present active continuous verbs. Uh, Pastor Cody and Pastor Nate are thrilled about this right now because they're in Hebrew and Greek right now. And present active continuous doesn't mean that it's something happened in the past. It doesn't mean it's happening in the future. It means it's happened right now. And it doesn't mean it happened once. It means it's presently and continuously, ongoingly happening. So what this is really saying is, listen, blessed is the one who is continually reading aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who are continually hearing uh, this prophecy, and blessed are those, oh, here's the last part, who are presently, continuously, actively keeping it, doing it. I just got to tell you, I want to be blessed. Don't you? I know you want to be blessed. And and don't don't just bless me with another person. I mean, love you. That's really cool and really sweet. But if it could be happen, I'd love to be blessed by like King Majesty, Jesus blessing stuff. And friends, it says that. So God, right now I pause. And I take your words seriously. And you say, Blessed are those who are in it and hearing it and reading it and doing it. And God, I pray we would be that kind of people, not just to hear to fill our mind with some intellectual thoughts, but God, that we would be reading it, in it, ongoing. And I don't know, maybe even right now, some people are wondering, I wonder why there hasn't been much blessing going on in my life. Maybe it's because they haven't been reading, hearing, and doing the word. And I just pray your grace on them that they would step up to the table, that we all would step up to the table increasingly. This is a James uh, 124 reality here where you say, blessed are the doers of the word. Oh God, more of that, more of that. Help us to do that. We need you. We can't do it alone. But we pray that you would bless us in our faithful walk after you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, by the way, end of verse three, for the time is near. Did you see at the end of verse one, uh, that soon must come pl- soon take place. Aren't you like, come on, man? It's been two thousand years. Like, giddy up. Um, I don't want to go into the words too much because I'm not quite sure, and I don't want to use the words and kind of excuse away God's timing of it. But but in the first word that's used there in verse one, it kind of carries this idea of, in other words, it could happen in a soon time from this point in time, or when it happens, it could happen quickly. I, I actually, I kind of lean towards the latter one. In other words, uh, because when this stuff happens, it happens quickly. Uh, if you know a little bit about it, like in seven years, a lot's going down. That's not very much time. Quickly is kind of the idea. Then you get to the end of uh, verse three there, and it says, for the time is near. Uh, that word carries this idea of an era, of a season. You know, season, uh, 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 spring and summer and fall and winter and in god's redemptive time plan he's been through some of these seasons of his redemptive time plan and basically i think what's happening here is is the next and final season it's coming it's coming the next season is the next thing on god's redemptive timetable and it's gonna happen oh and by the way it's gonna happen why because king majesty jesus of revelation one says so don't take my word for it take his verse four dedication time john to the seven churches that are in asia 
We'll cover that here in a couple weeks. So who's he writing to? Seven churches, right? Okay. And then he goes on, grace to you and peace. That's cool. You know, isn't that neat when someone comes up to you and goes, grace to you and peace? That doesn't happen very often, but just the idea of it kind of makes me feel all warm and fuzzy, doesn't it? But look at the text. This isn't John giving grace and peace. This is God the Father giving grace and peace. I want that grace and peace. I'll, I'll take yours too, but I want that grace and peace. Hey, friends, God the Father gives grace and God the Father gives peace. Don't you want that? Grace to you and peace from him who is and was and is to come. Again, I think he's opening with a Trinitarian kind of uh, dedication here to God the Father. And then he goes on, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. I think this is a reference to the spirit of God. A seven. Uh, it's not the spirit of God has seven spirits. It's, it's referencing this idea, I think, of seven. We'll talk about this later as we get in here in a couple weeks. Seven in the Bible is used as fullness, completeness. It's like the full spirit of God is around the throne of God. Not part of it. Not itsy bitsy pieces of it. Like the whole deal's there, all in. And he's dedicating it. God the Father, God the Spirit. And verse 5, and from Jesus Christ... And then this is the one that has the most description. Well, that's fitting because the book is about Jesus Christ. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. Okay, I've covered some verses here. And uh, you've got uh, like 13 things listed on your page, don't you? And I know all you, you fill in the blankers are getting pretty nervous. And uh, like lunch is going to burn and the whole deal. So let's start working on these 13. And we're going to go back, pick up a couple things, just summarize them here and get rolling. Here we go. Number one, Jesus makes known. You already have that down. That was from verse one. God the Father gives Jesus, God the Son, uh, the task of showing himself. And he does it. I got to tell you, this is a big deal. Because the Godhead makes itself known. You know, sometimes it's kind of like, you know, I wish I wonder what God was like. He's made himself known, friends. I wonder how he works. He's made himself known. Yeah, but he hasn't answered every question I have. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The things given to us are revealed. The things not are his. Be okay with it. All right? He doesn't give us everything we want, but he gives us everything we need to know. Jesus makes known. That's a big deal. Number two, Jesus has angels. We talked about that. Remember that? They are his. They obey him. Uh, who can do that? Again, we're stacking up a list, uh, trying to get an idea of who this Jesus is in Revelation. He owns all the angels. Sweet. And they obey him with what he does. Very sweet. Number three, Jesus has bond servants. We've talked about that out of the text. Uh, people who willingly place themselves under, who are witnesses or test, give testimony to him. Did you not hear testimony of Jesus Christ today in those baptisms? I got to tell you, in the first service was so cool. We had one kid, one young man, teen, and we had one adult. It's like all over the bank. Revealed. Revealed. It's all about Jesus. Uh, number four, this is what we see out of verse five uh, of those three things. The faithful witness. A faithful witness. Uh, one who always speaks and represents truth. I want to know truth. You want to know truth. You want to know someone who represents truth all the time, who never, 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 never represents untruth. 
but always, 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 always represents truth. Hey, go see Jesus. Go to the red letters. That's, that's what we want. He's the faithful witness. Don't give me someone who's like half got the picture. Give me the faithful one who's got the big picture and all of it in his hands. I want that one. And, and then number five, Jesus is the firstborn of the dead. A title. Uh, uh, not the first in sequence. Because like Lazarus was risen from the dead. No, this is, this is the idea of first in preeminence. No one was risen. No one has risen from the dead, raised, whatever. No one has gone up from the dead <laughs> like Jesus Christ. He's the preeminent one overall. No one's done it like that. No one's conquered hell, but he has. He's the firstborn of the dead. He's the premier one that has been raised. Number six, Jesus is the ruler of kings on earth. <laughs> you may be thinking, he's the ruler of kings on earth. I'm not sure he's doing a great job because I don't know if you've seen the news. It's kind of like, Things aren't going so well around the world, right? And if he's the ruler of the, uh, of the earth, dude, come on. Man, pick it up. Okay, two things. One, maybe the Godhead has an intention that is far beyond my and your comfort. I don't know, just maybe. Maybe. Maybe the Godhead has an intention with your and my life that is just more than getting the bills paid and, and having a house and getting the next car and having stress relieved. Maybe Jesus is about something way bigger than that. Uh, he is. Boy, we get caught up in all the wrong stuff. So in all of that, when he's the ruler of the kings of, on the earth, maybe he has intentions that are not my kinds of intentions just to make my life more comfortable so I can have a better economic status. Secondly, you've heard me say if you've been here before, for me this has just been a light bulb kind of a thing when I first heard it. The question why do bad things happen is the wrong question. Honestly, the question of that is, duh. Because we live in a sin-cursed world. That's why bad things happen. The real question is, why do good things happen? In fact, why does any one good thing ever happen? Answer. Because Jesus is the ruler of the earth. You see, and sinners, as sinners, if we were just left unto ourselves, we would so implode in sin, this would become a living hell on earth. But God in his grace is literally holding back, is sustaining back the reality of us as mankind imploding in sin. But do know this later in Revelation, God talks about how not only is he going to like pull back his grace, and allow ourselves, uh, people at the time, allow those to totally implode. But on top of that, not only is God going to pull back his general grace, but God is also going to put on his wrath for sin. And I'll just say this, you don't want to be here when that happens. I'm banking for early out. I'm ahead of the game on that. And if that doesn't work, then midway out. Okay. <laughs> 
here we go. John's dedication uh, continues. <laughs> can't believe I said that. It's focus. Um, number seven, mid verse five. This is so sweet. Jesus loves us. You see that? To him who loves us. Hey, maybe today, the thing more than anything else you need to hear is this. Jesus loves you. Number eight. On top of that, Jesus frees us. And he has freed us from our sins by his blood. That's what the baptisms were about again. Freed from hopelessness because of sin. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Not just do you know about Jesus Christ, but do you know about Jesus Christ and the freeing that he offers to you from your sin? That's the gospel. That's what it's all about. Number nine, Jesus made us. Look at verse six. And made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. You see that? He made us not a commune, not a club, not a ticket holder. When you come to Jesus Christ, you enter in the sphere of God's kingdom. I just love the word. Like, I don't want to be in a tent. I don't want to be in a commune. I love you guys, but I vote for this. How about we all, like, go to a kingdom? That just sounds cool. And that's what's happened. He's made us part of his kingdom. Also with that, he's made us priests to God the Father. And that means that we, when you come to Christ, you have direct access to the Father through Jesus Christ. By the way, if you grew up with teaching that you have to go to someone else to be able to have access to the Father, I'm going to say this as kindly and lovingly as I can, but I have to say it this way, it's utter heresy. And it's utter heresy because that's what Jesus Christ has done. And you put someone else in that role, you're taking, you're like shoving Jesus Christ aside. Hey, I need someone else. No, no, no. Jesus Christ is your advocate before the Father. Okay? That's a big deal. Uh, Jesus made us. He made us a kingdom, made us priests. Verse 7, it says, Behold, he is coming in the clouds. Number 10, Jesus is coming. He's coming. And by the way, look at it. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Now, here's the deal. Imagine that you're living in the time when this is written, 95-ish AD, and you are in severe persecution. Domitian is the kind of the dictator of the area, and he's just severe persecution of believers in Christ. And what do you want to hear? I got to tell you. Here's what I want to hear. I want to hear that Jesus loves me, that he's freed me from my sin, that he's made us a kingdom of priests, and I want to hear that he's coming. Because when every day seems like the next day gets worse and you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, you need hope. And you need hope that someone's coming and going to take care of all this. And even in the time that I have, it's temporary in the light of it all. Man, it gives me hope. By the way, I just got to say this. Look at it. And and the coming back of it all, everyone, including his enemies and rejectors of him, it talks about how they will see him and they will wail. It's too late now. And I don't say that like, yeah, crush them all. I I hope they repent. We want to pray that they would come to know the king. 
so that they would be a part of it. But the fact of the matter is there's going to come a time and when Jesus Christ comes, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And there's no choice. But at that time, it's too late for those who haven't repented already. But I got to say, that would give me hope. God's going to take care of this Domitian guy. He's got it. Paul Tripp makes a statement. I just have to read here a paragraph um, up on the screen. Uh, Our small group is going through the book called Forever, maybe available for some small groups in the spring. But a paragraph says this, the grace of eternal life even changes the way I suffer. The belief that this present life is all I have makes suffering all the harder. You see, if present joy is all the joy I will ever have and someone takes it away from me, the impact is then devastating. But, but if I know that this is not all there is, then I know that this moment of pain is temporary. And this last sentence is a killer. Living in light of eternity does not remove my pain, but it allows me to have hope in my moments of pain. Jesus is coming. And if that happens to sound like kind of a propagated pipe dream, verse 8. By the way, what color is verse 8 printed in? I am the Alpha and the Omega. Let me give that another shot. I wish I could hear King Jesus say this. So I'm so woeful at saying it. I sound like Pee Wee Herman in comparison. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is, what is to come, the Almighty. Three last thing, Jesus knows it all. The idea with this Alpha and the Omega, yeah, it has an eternal thing from beginning to end, get that. But there's also a component of this idea of Alpha Omega that means every letter, uh, uh, the entirety of the letters. In other words, Jesus Christ from beginning to end knows everything from beginning to end. He knows it all. You know, one of the most irritating things is people who are know-it-alls. Why? Because they don't know it all. They think they do. No, understand this. Jesus Christ, he knows it all. He knows it all. Everything going on in your life, he knows. Everything going on in the world, he knows. He's got it. He's got it taken care of. By the way, as I understand the rest of the book of Revelation, it's supposed to get worse before it gets better. And he knows that. He knows it all. And number 12, Jesus is eternal, who is, who was, and is to come. Eternity past, eternity present, eternity future. He's the forever man. He's the forever one. Number 13, probably my favorite, Jesus is the Almighty. Hey, superhero movies are really big right now. 
I like them, most of them. You know, superheroes, <laughs> they're like awesome. Hey, if a superhero wants to do something, you can't stop him. Revelation 1 introduces us to the almighty superhero. And in all of this, know this, you can't stop him. And maybe someone is in here today, it's like, <laughs> Doug, that's really cute for you. But this is like stupid. That's all right. You know, God's allowed you the opportunity to make a choice in all of this. But I just want to warn you. I just want to lovingly throw this out for you to consider. When the Almighty One shows up, He's the real deal superhero. Later in Revelation, it says that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. I just pray that you would confess now. He's the superhero. And I want to let you know, if, if you're in trials right now of life, you got a superhero. King, awesome, mighty, majestic Jesus. Hey, friends, maybe, maybe for you, like for me this week, I've been hit in the face with the reality that I need to take this in the right way. I need to move on past some of the gospel Jesus and into the King Majesty Jesus reality. I mean, gospel Jesus, I'm all about. But King Majesty conquering the Almighty One, that's the one now. And it has just caused me to go, I'm thinking too little of them. I'm thinking too small of them. My goodness, this is God, Doug, and you got to wake up. This ain't no poor carpenter, kid. This is God in reality, all majesty, all power, all divinity. He is coming, friends, and he is the almighty one. And I just want to say, we need to wake up. Lord God, uh, I get cranked up about this because I'm learning. Uh, I'm, I'm learning from your word and you're helping me understand you more and some things I need to grow and change in. And God, I thank you that you've just kind of, wow, wake up call, wake up call, wake up call. You are the suffering servant that died on the cross. You are the one that rose from the dead and ascended. But God, we oftentimes forget that you are this one as well. And I just pray that our hearts would be lower in humility in a delightful way before you. You are my king. And I can trust you. And you love us. And you freed us. And you rule. You are forever. You are the Almighty One.
in the name of the King of Kings. And Lord of Lords, the Almighty One we pray.